0: Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and Merry Christmas! It's so good to have you on this special edition of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Well, today is December 26th, the day after Christmas, and our special guest today is Conrad Gump from the London School of Theology. Conrad is a lecturer in New Testament there, and he's also an author and speaker and has been a real friend of Next Step Press and the Next Step Podcast. After a brief introduction, you'll hear me pray, and then Conrad and I will read responsively the Bible verses found on page 87 of Light in the Darkness, a hymn journal for Advent and Christmas from Next Step Press. After we've discussed those Bible verses and the theology weaving its way from Genesis to Revelation, You'll hear me read the devotion on page 88, and Conrad and I will discuss the theology of reading the Bible together like that, and we'll talk about the new creation, and what Jesus' second coming means for us as we celebrate his first coming at Christmas. Well, When I went to bed on Christmas Eve, just a little after midnight, it had just started snowing a little bit up here in Michigan. I think about 4 a.m. I heard the snow plow was going by, so I knew we were going to have a white Christmas. We spent some time with family and spent some time on the phone and on Zoom. It's really a wonderful celebration, even though we kind of had to do it long distance. Whatever your Christmas was like, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking some time out of your holiday season to take a next step following Jesus with us. Conrad Gumpf joins us in the Next Step podcast today. Conrad, Merry Christmas!
1: Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, or as we sometimes say in England, Happy Christmas.
0: Oh, right. Happy, well, Happy Christmas to you, too. Hey, I know you grew up in New Jersey, and you've lived in London how long now?
1: It's been like 30 years.
2: Oh.
0: And uh, what are some of the differences in how you celebrate Christmas in the States or in the UK?
1: Well, one of the differences is uh, today, Boxing Day, is called Boxing Day. It's like a separate holiday of its own.
0: Yeah, what's up with that? So that December 26th, when this episode airs, will be Boxing Day. Michigan is close enough to Canada that I'm familiar just a little bit, but I really don't know much about
1: Boxing Day. What is it? I don't think it has to do with the sport, Uh which is fortunate. Uh (laughs) So you give people greetings one day, and then the next day (laughs) you punch them out. If you didn't like your gift, then you celebrate (laughs) Boxing Day. I think it's when you give gifts to the work people to the postmen and the delivery boys and the bobbies and things. And you take things that are nice oranges or something and put them in a box and give them to them, I think is the origin of the term, but it's clouded, it's shrouded in mystery.
0: But what other differences have you experienced?
1: I guess another thing is the ubiquity of mince pies, Mm. which we called mincemeat pies in, in the States. But here, they're they're very, very common, and candy canes are very scarce, Oh, but you're much more likely to see mince pies and to give mince pies, and you bring a little package of mince pies with you to work in years that you actually have a workplace that you go to and see people. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a few differences, but there's a lot that's the same.
0: Do you call Santa Claus Father Christmas there? Is that what I heard?
1: Father Christmas is more normal, but either is understood.
0: And and you alluded to the fact that this is a COVID Christmas. So, how does that affect your celebrations this year?
1: It is a peculiar year. The kids, I have two grown-up children, um, and they went to extraordinary lengths so that we could be together again. They voluntarily self-isolated for 14 days, leading up until the 23rd, when they'll be allowed to come and visit.
0: Our celebrations are a little bit unique as well. My mom and dad just made the decision not to come up from Florida. Actually, the last time they were here, we saw them for about four hours and, uh, my dad and my daughter and my mother-in-law all ended up with COVID. So uh, they're they're not doing that this time around. Wow. But we're waiting for some... Everybody's okay. Everybody's good. We're waiting for the vaccines to kick in and, and see what happens next. So we'll yeah. miss being together, but we'll certainly Zoom our uh, Christmas somehow. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for being with us today. And I'm really excited to talk about this Joy to the World hymn with you. As we get ready to read the Bible passages on page 87 of the Light in the Darkness hymn journal for Advent and Christmas. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Come Holy Spirit and open our hearts and minds today. Uh, You who overshadowed the Virgin Mary and caused Jesus to be incarnate, would you please overshadow us and let your words bring us that same Jesus that we celebrate today. Uh, Jesus, thank you for coming to us as the, the babe in Bethlehem. Thank you that you are coming again in glory. And as we long and wait for that day, will you grant us your presence? Will you be there in your word according to your promise? And will you help us to hold more firmly with the hands of faith the promise of your return? Come quickly, Lord.
1: Amen. This is from Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. To Adam, God said,
0: Matthew 27, verses 28 to 31. And the Roman soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him.
1: Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree.
0: And finally, from Revelation chapter 22, the first three verses, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, Well, Conrad, that's quite a collection of verses put together here in our hymn journal. Is there anything that kind of jumped out at you as we read these through this time?
1: It is sort of a journey, isn't it? From the curse in the Garden of Eden all the way to back to the tree of life in Revelation with the end of all curses. Um, It's really an interesting journey. And then, of course, there's the thorns that feature in the hymn.
0: Yeah, thorns and thistles uh, seem not to have been a part of the original creation. After the fall, thorns and thistles are a part of the the curse that humanity brings in our broken relationships, also with nature. And then when you finally get to the tree of life in Revelation, the, the leaves there are for the healing of the nations, and it bears fruit. It doesn't bear thorns, it bears fruit.
1: Yeah, I wonder um, if the thorns and thistles were there, and just as the snake lost its Ability to walk around on legs, so these vines or plants lost their fruit and gained these spiky things. Because it really is, yeah. it really is a good image of how creation turns against itself and becomes cutthroat, and everybody needs to defend themselves against everybody else, and so on.
0: the The phrase there in Genesis three is, "It produces thorns and thistles." Like you, you would expect it to produce fruit that's good to eat and instead of producing something good it produces something bad and painful and sharp and really worthless not good for anything
1: and that's the curse it's not it's it's interesting when if you and I were were writing it you know we'd make a place where nothing grew everything would be desolation and and the bible uses that image in places but but the real the real curse is that the stuff is still happening. It's just turned in on itself and antagonistic to itself. And, oh, the frustration.
0: Yeah, it's it's the distorted, the twistedness. Uh You can't, uh, I think C.S. Lewis talks about how evil can't stand kind of by itself. It can only twist something that's good. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness isn't its own substance. So here we see... The brokenness of creation in in how it's twisted and uh, deformed. The definition of sin is to be turned in on one oneself.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: hey, I'd like to talk some more about these verses and, and about that image of the thorns. But before we do, let's go ahead and turn the page to page 88. And I'd like to read the devotion that's written there. Maybe that'll inform our conversation as well. And after the devotion, we'll listen to Joy to the World from Brooke and Brendan. The devotion is called, Nor thorns infest the ground. Poison ivy, poison sumac, nightshade, hemlock, add to that list the Christmas poinsettia. While the poinsettia won't kill you, even if you eat it, you can get a pretty severe rash just by touching this most popular holiday flower. While your local sanctuary dresses up with white lilies on Easter, Christmas traditionally sees the church festively garbed in beautiful red and poisonous poinsettias. I don't know that we chose a poisonous plant on purpose, but it sure fits the occasion. In the garden, Adam and Eve chose the knowledge of good and evil over trust in God, and the result was brokenness, separation from God, division among humans— even an imperfect relationship with creation. In mercy, God still provides seed time and harvest, but the joy, the the harmony, the relationship between nature and humanity is poisoned at its source. Now thistles and thorns, the sign and curse of pain and brokenness, infest the ground. Jesus, the new Adam, comes at Christmas to mend the relationship severed by sin, our relationship with God, with each other, even with nature. Jesus grabs the poisonous plant by the roots. Jesus receives the curse of the thorns. Christmas is indeed deadly for the one who takes on the poison of sin and drinks the cup of wrath to its dregs. The red of the Christmas poinsettia could stand for blood, as well as for love. The pointed leaves look a bit like hearts, but also like thorns. The poisonous rash that comes from just holding the plant is a reminder of our sin, but more importantly, of our Savior. The Christ child born at Christmas came to take that curse into his own body on the tree, that he might be the source of restoration and renewal. Whoever trusts in Jesus touches the tree of life, whose leaves bring healing to the nations. The new creation will know vibrant flowers, but poinsettias will no longer be poisonous. The new creation knows no thorn."
2: Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its King. Let every heart prepare Him a room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Far as the curse. Is...
0: Was Joy to the World performed by Brooke Orozco and Brendan Norp. Uh, Conrad, do they have red poinsettias at Christmas in London or the UK?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, they're very common.
0: How about Easter lilies at Easter? Is that also common?
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: I grew up thinking that you, if you ate a Christmas poinsettia, you could die. And, and originally, I think when I wrote this devotion, I, I had to do some research to f- discover that. I think some kid in the 1830s actually was found dead on Christmas, and they thought perhaps it was the and it kind of became a wives' tale. And and uh, but but actually, be at peace. You won't die if you eat a poinsettia, like your small dog might. Uh, but it is interesting that we use a poisonous plant uh, as a part of our Christmas decorations.
1: I don't think I've ever seen anyone with a rash. Is that you? Research that, and there's rashes that. It's yeah, definite. you can. It, so
0: th- this Christmas, Conrad, you should try rubbing like r- rubbing the Christmas point set on your <laughs> belly and and see what happens. How about that?
1: Thanks. I think I'll pass. <laughs> I think I'll sing "No More Let Sin and Sorrow Grow" instead. <laughs> I think that would be better.
0: So, hey, I was wondering, as a a, prof- a lecturer in New Testament, we'd call you a professor. But it seems to me this this whole thought that the devotion and, and the way that that I put these verses together hinges on this idea that scripture hangs together from Genesis to Revelation and that you can trace an image like thorns and healing and and the, the brokenness of creation kind of all the way through. How would you talk about that kind of Interpreting Scripture. If you were talking to one of your first year students, what what dangers would you warn them of, or, or what would, you, how would you grade my devotion? I suppose that'd be another way of putting it.
1: <laughs> you get an A, Justin. All right.
0: Very <laughs> happy Christmas.
1: <laughs> and you know quite a bit about this yourself, because what we're dealing with sometimes, as in these verses, are are metaphors. Are sometimes they're used as ways of 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 describing things that we're not good at describing, Mm. by things that are are easier to understand. So, the whole idea of creation being corrupt and turned in on itself or turning antagonistic, that's all very abstract. But if you start pointing to plants that you love and then seeing them infested with thorns, that that carries a, a good deal of the message. And Scripture Loves these images and uses them, uses them a great deal. And because the people who wrote the New Testament are so steeped in the Old Testament, it's easy for them to pick up these images and mention them again. Or sometimes even just to notice um, how how peculiar it is, or how uh, almost fortuitous it is that that something in their life is that kind of image that relates to Scripture. So, when Jesus asks for a coin, when he's talking about taxes, and he's able to talk about whose image was this coin created in, that's picking up a, a, a scriptural theme from, from Genesis with God creating us in his image. But nobody struck coins thinking, I'm going to do this because of Genesis. The 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 fact in our planet is almost independent of the image, but the christian Jesus in this case or the writers of scripture see that sort of thing as related to scripture and i I think that's what's going on in the Gospel story with the crown of thorns. I think the soldiers gave Jesus a crown of thorns, thinking it was hilarious that mm. he should have this this thing made out of vegetation that hurts him. but I think probably the scriptural authors. The gospel authors recognized those thorns and connected it with an image in the Garden of Eden about the frustration and the futility of creation.
0: Oh, there's so much there. The, the crown of thorns specifically, I remember doing some research and, and seeing some sketches and some you know, some even carvings and things like that of, of crowns that would have been common in, in the ancient Roman world. And you perhaps can think of the, the laurel wreath that you think of Caesar having that laurel wreath. And there are several kinds of imperial crowns that would be on the head, but also show these rays, almost rays of glory. And so as I think of this crown of thorns, I think it's one of the reasons they use it is because it imitates. Those those glory spikes. Mm-hmm. And, and yet here they're turned in and they're painful. They they aren't there for glory. They're there to shame. And yet I think, and, and Matthew, who who's we read from here, Matthew is so adept at showing the irony of the whole crucifixion scene. This is clearly Jesus, the King of the Jews, who's crucified at, for the crime of being the King of the Jews. The whole thing is just ironic. And the fact that he would have a glory crown of Thorns, his his crown in his shame, his glory in in the suffering. I think is really poignant. It
1: is, mm. it is poignant, and it, it's as you say. Not only Matthew, but Luke too loves loves this business of irony and loves this business of of people saying and doing more than they know they're saying and doing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's good. But there is a danger. You asked about what I'd warned my students. There is a danger of just assuming every time you see something on the planet mentioned <laughs> you automatically link it to the story and think that it must be there because it's doing that. And and thorns are are, are a useful example because thorns mean a couple of things in the Old Testament. One of the things that they meant, mean is this frustration and this, 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 the way that creation turns in against itself um, and, and the presence of, of sin and corruption in our planet. But it's also used in an entirely different way um, several times in Scripture uh, as they're talked about as kindling, that mm. there's something that you burn, but they don't last very long or do very much. Um, and Ecclesiastes talks about the crackling of thorns under the pot. Being like the laughter of fools, that it's not really accomplishing very much, and you, you can sort of see a link to the frustration of creation, but it really is a, a different image. Yeah, and and Psalm one eighteen talks about the enemies of the writer swarming around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. So again, it's the it's the quick how quickly they go which is an image that the Gospel writers wouldn't want to use about suffering, but, but thorns can be used as an, as an example of, as a way of, of getting into, several different concepts.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and, and it strikes me that the difference there is, in the difference in the experience of the plant itself. Uh, And which is why I think it's really helpful to go back and try to get a handle on what that first century experience would have been, or or even later in the Old Testament, how would have they interacted with something like thorns. So lighting, you trying to use a thorn as kindling, it, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't do much. That's a different experience than looking for fruit on a plant, and instead coming away with a bloody hand because you wanted fruit, but instead you got thorns. Uh, that's actually I was thinking of just the, this just the other night. Actually, uh, I think it's Isaiah five, where the Isaiah is talking about the vineyard of Yahweh, and Israel is the vineyard, and and he tends the vineyard and he cares for the vineyard and puts up a wall and, and a tower, and he goes to find good fruit, but there's only bad. And and ultimately there's an image of judgment. He's gonna tear down the wall and the tower and let it let it uh, just nature take over. And what takes over is not an ordered cultivated garden. It's actually thorns mm. and brambles. So again, there's the image of of not what was intended, not the good that God intended with nature, but the harmful, the the useless, even the painful. So in that experience, uh, I, I guess that's why the, the point, Christmas poinsettia is so intriguing to me. If you eat it, if you touch it, I, I mean, I don't know how much you'd have to touch to get a rash. I never got a, a, a rash when I set up poinsettias for a Christmas Eve worship or anything like that, uh, but I always knew it was a little bit dangerous. That do not touch, do not eat uh, becomes a danger thing, and thorns are... A part of that experience of pain instead of blessing. Ah, I guess that's another cursing thing too. So the opposite of cursing is blessing. The the benediction, the blessing, the good thing that I'm speaking over you. The curse is the evil thing that's being spoken over you to your damage. Uh, and Jesus takes on in in his body on the cross. Paul says, he, Paul's I think quoting Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone who's hung. A, on a tree, yes. so that the the sting of death, the thorn of death, is, is drawn out on the cross. Hmm.
1: He sort of has rubbed the poinsettia all over himself. He's deliberately yeah. gone to the cross.
0: Hey, hey, what about something like Paul? Uh, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. Does that connect to what we're talking about today? Or would that be something like the Proverbs passage, where it's a different experience of thorn and it doesn't really connect? What are your thoughts on something like that?
1: I think it... It certainly could be a related sort of thing, but I, I think he's thinking of something that's more, more like a splinter, more like a, a problem that that he has trouble getting rid of. Um, and he talks about praying three times, which, interestingly, Jesus prays three times in on Gethsemane, um, mm. and and in both cases, they come to the they come to the idea that God's grace is sufficient and this is the way it should be. So. For the time being, we don't get all of our thorns taken away, but Genesis and Revelation are looking forward to a time when they will be taken away.
0: Oh, that's good, yeah. So, for the in our present experience, we still have uh, poisonous poinsettias, we still have thorns that in, in the flesh that we would like to remove, and like a splinter, they're sometimes difficult to remove, takes more than one try. Uh, Revelation points to a time when there will be nothing more that's accursed. And the 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 tree, boy, that river of light almost, and that river of life, that's a beautiful image. And the tree is there for the healing of nations. That's echoing some language in Ezekiel as well. But here, you come to the tree and you don't receive thorn, you receive healing. You don't receive wounding, you receive... Restoration. Uh, talk to me more about that image of restored creation. Now, this isn't Revelation twenty two isn't just going back to Genesis three as a read as a redo or a do over. It seems like something even more. Am I reading that correctly?
1: Uh, well, I think so. I I think the the new creation is going to be even better than the old creation. Um, it's not just going to be um, he's taken away all the bad things. That have happened since creation, but things are going to be even better, even sharper, even more mm. real. Um, and I, I think you see that in, in Jesus and his resurrection body. I think we will have, we're told that that our bodies, our current bodies, which are the kind of bodies that Adam and Eve have, are going to pass away, we're going to get spiritual bodies. Um, and I think they'll be like Jesus, so I think we'll all be, like, walking through walls all the time. and. <laughs> <laughs> And playing tricks on each other because you can't always recognize us. Um, <laughs> but but I think the resurrection body is going to be different, and 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 the resurrection reality is going to be different. The cities and things are just going to be entirely different and, and, and made out of things that look like gold and gems and so on.
0: Well, our hope and our promise is not just getting back to the Garden of Eden, it's getting to the New Jerusalem. And, and you would say it's Similar, but even more.
1: Redemption is better than innocence. Yeah.
0: Mm, Redemption is better than
1: innocence. It's not, he's not going to hold some men in black device up to us and we'll forget all that sin and all that death and all that stuff. But the evil itself works itself into good.
0: Almost exactly the opposite of the thorn, uh, the thorn that turns in on itself and twists and warps. This is even the things that were were the worst experience you've had turned back outward and blossoming and bearing good fruit rather than bad. Yeah. Uh, I remember a lecture in New Testament that I studied with uh, in the book of Revelation who talked about the fact that Jesus still bears his wounds uh, and that just as the first creation was spoken to existence by the power of the Word, Jesus, pre-incarnate, present at the at creation, so the second creation will have to be something more and different, because the Word took on flesh and walked among us, because Jesus died and rose again and is now the Lamb who was slain and yet is alive forevermore. So the new creation, created in and through Jesus, bears the glorious marks of cross and resurrection, the crown of thorns glorified, and therefore, the new creation will be even more than the fallen, than than the original creation, not just more than the fallen creation, but because Jesus took on flesh, the new creation will be even more than the first. Yeah.
1: And as C.S. Lewis, we mentioned C.S. Lewis already, but as he said, death begins to work against itself
0: Mm.
1: and Mm. work backwards.
0: And work backwards. So that already now our experience of fallenness in 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 hindsight of the resurrection will have been a part of eternity, yeah. the, the eternal blessing for us.
1: And this confuses the disciples, of course, because they're expecting Jesus, they're expecting the day of judgment to come and the Lord to come back and for everything to wrap up at once. And when he comes, he's got to be either just human, or it's got to be this divine wrapping everything up. But instead of wrapping everything up, there's this curious existence we're in now, where the old earth hasn't ended and the new earth begun, but rather there are two things happening at the same time. And, And the New Testament writers don't know how to talk about this, so sometimes they'll talk about, you know, in the future when we are saved, but they'll also talk about how we are saved, it's the already and not yet, and the, the the dual nature of our existence. We're citizens of two places, and what we loose down here is loosed in heaven, and everything begins to work backwards so that Jesus comes to the planet, God becomes man, but in order to bring us back with him, and we become part of his reality just as he became part of ours.
0: And yet that final victory hasn't happened yet. So it's it's come ahead of time in Jesus. Even the resurrection. I mean, that's a that's a great example. Jesus' resurrection is not like Lazarus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is an end times, wrapping up of all things, final victory of God over sin, death, and devil. It's it's the end present already. But it but it showed up in the middle of the story. No wonder the disciples were Confused, They they had a place in their thinking for a resurrection of the flesh, but not for a, an end times resurrection ahead of time in the story, and that's what they experienced in Jesus.
1: Hmm. There was even one one guy who read a book, when it was translated into English, it got translated with the boring title, A Theology of St. Luke. But the German title, if you actually translate the German title of the book, it was The Middle of Time. It's about how Jesus comes in the middle, the end comes in the middle. Paul talks about first fruits all the time and down payment, and this is what he has in mind. The end is certain, and we know the end is certain, because it came in the middle.
0: There's there's a sense in which that end is already present, so it's a participation in the end already in the middle. It's not... Paul Paul talks about our lives being hidden with Christ in God, that, that there's a sense already now we are seated in the heavenly realms in, in that final position of victory. and And yet Paul can have a thorn in the flesh. It's this, yep, yeah, already done, but not not done yet. Uh, the,
1: and the, rant about how the good he wants to do he can't do, and the evil yeah. that he doesn't want to do is what he winds up doing,
0: kind of a thorny issue
1: <laughs> and, and that's a beautiful thing in this in this hymn, this. In the middle of this Christmas hymn to have a a verse that, that is about the thorns, predicting their end, but I love the way that it repeats, just as it repeats the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, we also get this repetition of far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, because it's just so pervasive in our world, but it is working backwards.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for reminding me of the hymn again. I heard just recently that Sir Isaac Watts wrote wrote this not merely as a Christmas hymn, but primarily as a second coming of Jesus hymn that gets used as a Christmas hymn. And I wonder how our conversation today affects how we might celebrate Christmas. We look forward to Jesus coming as a babe in Bethlehem. He already came as a babe in Bethlehem. What are we celebrating at Christmas? Uh, advent the coming it's often talked about the coming of jesus fulfilling the old testament promises but really the old testament promises point not just to uh, the suffering servant but to the victorious one and there's a coming that hasn't happened yet and uh, so we've got this kind of interesting duality on christmas and even boxing day that uh, that we're celebrating something that's happened already And we're also longing for something that hasn't happened yet, an an eternal Christmas, a final Christmas, an ultimate uh, Easter and Christmas wrapped up into one, I guess.
1: (laughs) Or unwrapped from one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Unwrapped into one.
1: (laughs) The idea of restoration and reversal is just all over the place in Christmas. And I've often thought there's something that can be done poetically, because I don't know whether it's intended or not about the idea of bringing a tree inside and that kind of reversal, that kind of talking about the harmony of nature being restored, the harmony of the universe.
0: Mm -hmm. I know when I reach in to take the Christmas decorations off of my Christmas tree, I often walk uh, uh, with thorns and blood and scratches. So, maybe uh, undoing my Christmas tree this year will be a reminder that the thorns are still there and we're hoping for something more. (laughs)
1: Just don't touch those poinsettias.
0: I'll, I'll try not to. Yeah, poinsettia cookies, not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> hey, Conrad, it's always such a pleasure to to talk theology with you and to read the Bible with you. As we've sat with Scripture today, is there anything that we've talked about that might uh, you might take with you into your week or into the new year?
1: Well, I think the image that you just talked about, about undoing the Christmas tree and 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 the way that Christmas points forward as well as backwards, the way that we're looking for that Jesus who was a baby to come and restore not only innocence, but redemption. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing. And I'll also probably never look at poinsettias quite the same way again. <laughs> so,
0: as you... Take down your Christmas decorations and and uh, remove your poinsettia plants. That's a reminder that this year was another another marking and another year, uh, another Christmas. And yet, all of them look forward to and participate in that final Christmas, that final Easter. Come quickly, Lord. Conrad, always a blessing, my friend. Thanks for talking with us today. Thank you. That was Conrad Gumpf from the London School of Theology. If you enjoyed listening to our conversation today, you might check out Conrad's webpage. He's got a reading of his book, Jesus Asked, available for free. I'll link it to it in the description of this podcast. My conversation with Conrad got me thinking, and after a little more research, I've published a couple of blogs on the Next Step Community webpage about joy to the world and what's going on with that text and that theology. I'll link to those in the description as well. As always, this special Christmas edition of the Next Step Podcast was made possible in part by the generous support of patrons. Patrons make it possible. As we find ourselves in the middle of this year-end giving season, if you would like to extend your generosity to the mission and ministry of Next Step Press, you can become a patron for 2021. I'll put a link in the description there as well. Or if you would prefer to make a one-time donation, you can email me with details at justin at findmynextstep.org. Well, whatever your Christmas and New Year's celebrations are like, however you're marking Boxing Day on your calendar this year, or not, remember as you undo your Christmas tree and get those scratches on the back of your hands and wrists that this nature turned in on itself, the curse and the thorns. Were never part of the original design. And what's more, the Jesus, the babe of Bethlehem, is coming again in glory to not only repristinate, but to redeem all of creation. Come quickly, Lord. Hey, thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you next time at Next Step Press.